0: We're back again with John Steinbeck's The Red Pony, this time for Chapter 4. Glad you're here. Steinbeck never did graduate from Stanford University. He worked construction for a while. He was a newspaper reporter in New York City and a caretaker in Lake Tahoe. But don't worry. Some good stuff happened to him. We'll talk about it later. I know, I know. Let's get to it. Chapter 4, The Leader of the People On Saturday afternoon, Billy Buck, the ranch hand, raked together the last of the old year's haystack and pitched small forkfuls over the wire fence to a few mildly interested cattle. High in the air, small clouds like puffs of cannon smoke were driven eastward by the march wind. The wind could be heard wishing in the brush on the ridge crests, but no breath of it penetrated down into the ranch cup. The little boy Jody emerged from the house, eating a thick piece of buttered bread. He saw Billy working on the last of the haystack. Jody tramped down, scuffing his shoes in a way he had been told was destructive good shoe leather. A flock of white pigeons flew out of the black cypress tree as Jody passed and circled the tree and landed again. A half-grown tortoiseshell cat leaped from the bunkhouse porch, galloped on stiff legs across the road, and whirled and galloped back again. Jody picked up a stone to help the game along. But he was too late, for the cat was under the porch before the stone could be discharged. He threw the stone into the cypress tree and started the white pigeons on another whirling flight. Arriving at the used-up haystack, the boy leaned against the barbed wire fence. Will that be all of it, do you think? he asked. The middle-aged ranch hand, stopped his careful raking and stuck his fork into the ground. He took off his black hat and smoothed down his hair. Nothing left of it that isn't soggy from ground moisture, he said. He replaced his hat and rubbed his dry, leathery hands together. Ought to be plenty of mice, Jody suggested. Lousy with them, said Billy, just crawling with mice. Well, Maybe when you get all through, I could call the dogs and hunt the mice. Sure, I guess you could, said Billy Buck. He lifted a forkful of the damp, ground hay and threw it into the air. Instantly, three mice leaped out and burrowed frantically under the hay again. Jody sighed with satisfaction. Those plump, sleek, arrogant mice were doomed. For eight months they'd lived and multiplied in the haystack. They'd been immune from cats, from traps, from poison, and from Jody. They'd grown smug in their security, overbearing, and fat. Now the time of disaster had come. They would not survive another day. Billy looked up at the top of the hills that surrounded the ranch. "Mm, Maybe you better ask your father before you do it, he suggested. Well, where is he? I'll ask him now. He rode up to the Ridge Ranch after dinner. He'll be back pretty soon. Jody slumped against the fence post. I don't think he'd care. As Billy went back to his work, he said ominously, You'd better ask him. Anyway, you know how he is. And Jody did know. His father, Carl Tiflin, insisted upon giving permission for anything that was done on the ranch, whether it was important or not. Jody sagged farther against the post until he was sitting on the ground. He looked up at the little puffs of wind-driven cloud. Is it like to rain, Billy? It might. The wind's good for it, but not strong enough. Well, I hope it doesn't rain until after I kill those damn mice. He looked over his shoulder to see whether Billy had noticed the mature profanity. Billy worked on, without comment. Jody turned back and looked at the side hill where the road from the outside world came down. The hill was washed with lean march sunshine silver thistles blue lupines and a few poppies bloomed among the sage bushes halfway up the hill Jody could see Double Tree Mutt the black dog digging in a squirrel hole he paddled for a while and then paused to kick bursts of dirt out between his hind legs and he Dug with earnestness, earnestness that belied the knowledge he must have had that no dog had ever caught a squirrel by digging in a hole. Suddenly, while Jody watched, the black dog stiffened and backed out of the hole and looked up the hill toward the cleft in the ridge where the road came through. Jody looked up too. For a moment, Carl Tiflin on horseback stood out against the pale sky and then he moved down the road toward the house. He carried something in his hand. The boy started to his feet. He's got a letter, Jody cried. He trotted away toward the ranch house for the letter would probably be read aloud and he wanted to be there. He reached the house before his father did and ran in. He heard Carl dismount from his creaking saddle and slap the horse on the side to send it to the barn where Billy would unsaddle it and turn it out. Jody ran into the kitchen. We got a letter, he cried. His mother looked up from a pan of beans. Who has? Father has. I saw it in his hand. Carl strode into the kitchen then and Jody's mother asked, Who's the letter from, Carl? He frowned quickly. How did you know there was a letter? She nodded her head in the boy's direction. Big britches, Jody told me. Jody was embarrassed. His father looked down at him contemptuously. He is getting to be a big britches, Carl said. He's minding everybody's business but his own. Got his big nose into everything. Mrs. Tifflin relented a little. Well, he hasn't enough to keep him busy. Who's the letter from? Carl still frowned on Jody. I'll keep him busy if he isn't careful. He held out a sealed letter. I guess it's from your father. Mrs. Tifflin took a hairpin from her head and slid open the flap. Her lips pursed judiciously. Jody saw her eyes snap back and forth over the lines. He says, she translated, he says he's going to drive out Saturday to stay for a while. What? This is Saturday. Oh, the letter must have been delayed. She looked at the postmark. This was mailed day before yesterday. It should have been here yesterday. She looked up questioningly at her husband, and then her face darkened angrily. Now what have you got that look on you for? He doesn't come often. Carl turned his eyes away from her anger. He could be stern with her most of the time, but when occasionally her temper arose, he could not combat it. What's the matter with you? She demanded again. In his explanation, there was a tone of apology "'Jody himself might have used. "'It's just that he talks,' Carl said, lamely. "'Just talks. "'Well, what of it? You talk yourself.' "'Sure I do, but your father only talks about one thing.' "'Indians!' Jody broke in excitedly. "'Indians and crossing the plains!' Carl turned fiercely on him. You get out, Mr. Big Britches. Go on now. Get out. Jody went miserably out the back door and closed the screen with elaborate quietness. Under the kitchen window, his shamed, downcast eyes fell upon a curiously shaped stone. A stone of such fascination, hmm, that He squatted down and picked it up and turned it over in his hands. The voices came clearly to him through the open kitchen window. Jody's damn well right, he heard his father say. Just Indians and crossing the plains. I've heard that story about how the horses got driven off about a thousand times. He just goes on and on and He never changes a word in the things he tells. When Mrs. Tifflin answered, her tone was so changed that Jody, outside the window, looked up from his study of the stone. Her voice had become soft and explanatory. Jody knew how her face would have changed to match the tone. She said quietly, Look at it this way, Carl. That was the big thing in my father's life. He led a wagon train clear across the plains to the coast. And when it was finished, his life was done. It was a big thing to do, but it didn't last long enough. Look, she continued. It's as though he was born to do that. And after he finished it, there wasn't anything more for him to do but think about it and talk about it. If there had been any farther west to go, he'd have gone. He told me so himself. But at last, there was the ocean. He lives right by the ocean where he had to stop. She had caught Carl, caught him, and entangled him in her soft tone. I've seen him, he agreed quietly. He goes down and stares off west over the ocean. His voice sharpened a little, and then he goes up to the horseshoe club in Pacific Grove and tells people how The Indians drove off the horses. She tried to catch him again. Well, it's everything to him. You might be patient with him and pretend to listen. Carl turned impatiently away. Well, if it gets too bad, I can always go down to the bunkhouse and sit with Billy, he said irritably. He walked through the house and slammed the front door after him. Jody ran to his chores. He dumped the grain to the chickens without chasing any of them. He gathered the eggs from the nests. He trotted into the house with the wood and interlaced it so carefully in the wood box that two armloads seemed to fill it to overflowing. His mother had finished the beans by now. She stirred up the fire and brushed off the stove top with a turkey wing. Jody peered cautiously at her to see whether any rancor toward him remained. Is he coming today? Jody asked. That's what his letter said. Maybe I'd better walk up the road to meet him. Mrs. Tifflin clanged the stove lid shut. That would be nice, she said. He'd probably like to be met. I guess I'll just do it then. Outside, Jody whistled shrilly to the dogs. Come on, up the hill, he commanded. The two dogs waved their tails and ran ahead. Along the roadside, the sage had tender new tips. Jody tore off some pieces and rubbed them on his hands until the air was filled with the sharp, wild smell. With a rush, the dogs leaped from the road and yapped into the brush after a rabbit. That was the last Jody saw of them for when they failed to catch the rabbit, eh, they went back home. Jody plodded on up the hill toward the ridgetop. When he reached the little cleft where the road came through, the afternoon wind struck him and blew up his hair and ruffled his shirt. He looked down on the little hills and ridges below and then out at the huge green Salinas Valley. He could see the white town of Salinas far out in the flat and the flash of its windows under the waning sun. Directly below him, in an oak tree, a crow Congress had convened. The tree was black with crows, all cawing at once. Then Jody's eyes followed the wagon road down from the ridge where he stood and lost it behind a hill. "'and picked it up again on the other side. "'On that distant stretch, "'he saw a cart slowly pulled by a bay horse. "'It disappeared behind the hill. "'Jody sat down on the ground "'and watched the place where the cart would reappear again. "'The wind sang on the hilltops, "'and the puffball clouds hurried eastward. "'Then the cart came into sight.' and stopped. A man, dressed in black, dismounted from the seat and walked to the horse's head. Although it was so far away, Jody knew he had unhooked the check rein for the horse's head dropped forward. The horse moved on and the man walked slowly up the hill beside it. Jody gave a glad cry and ran down the road toward them. The squirrels bumped along off the road and a roadrunner flirted its tail and raced over the edge of the hill and sailed out like a glider. Jody tried to leap into the middle of his shadow at every step. A stone rolled under his foot and he went down. Around a little bend he raced and there, a short distance ahead, were his grandfather and the cart. The boy dropped from his unseemly running and approached at a dignified walk. The horse plodded stumble-footedly up the hill, and the old man walked beside it. In the lowering sun, their giant shadows flickered darkly behind them. The grandfather was dressed in a black broadcloth suit, and... He wore kid Congress gaiters and a black tie on a short, hard collar. He carried his black slouch hat in his hand. His white beard was cropped close, and his white eyebrows overhung his eyes like mustaches. The blue eyes were sternly merry. About the whole face and figure, there was A granite dignity, so that every motion seemed an impossible thing. Once at rest, it seemed the old man would be stone, would never move again. His steps were slow and certain. Once made, no step could ever be retraced. Once headed in a direction, the path would never bend, nor the pace increase nor slow. When Jody appeared around the bend, Grandfather waved his hat slowly in welcome and he called, Why, Jody, come down to meet me, have you? Jody sidled near and turned and matched his step to the old man's step and stiffened his body and dragged his heels a little. Yes, sir he said. We got your letter only today. Should have been here yesterday, said Grandfather. It certainly should. Well, how are all the folks? They're fine, sir, he hesitated and then suggested shyly. Would you like to come on a mouse hunt tomorrow, sir? Mouse hunt, Jody, Grandfather chuckled. Have the people of this generation come down to hunting mice? "'Oh, they aren't very strong, the new people. "'But I hardly thought mice would be game for them.' "'No, sir, it's just play. "'The haystack's gone. "'I'm going to drive out the mice to the dogs, "'and you can watch or even beat the hay a little.' "'The stern, merry eyes turned down on him. "'I see. Uh, "'You don't eat them, then. "'You haven't come to that yet,' Jody explained. "'The dogs eat them, sir.' It wouldn't be much like hunting Indians, I guess. No, not much. But then later, when the troops were hunting Indians and shooting children and burning teepees, it wasn't much different from your mouse hunt. Hmm. They topped the rise and started down into the ranch cup, and they lost the sun from their shoulders. You've grown, Grandfather said. Nearly an inch, I should say. More, Jody boasted. Where they mark me on the door, I'm up more than an inch since Thanksgiving, even. Grandfather's rich, throaty voice said, Maybe you're getting too much water and turn into pith and stock. Wait until you head out and then we'll see. Jody looked quickly into the old man's face to see whether his feelings should be hurt but there was no will to injure, no punishing, no putting in your place light in those keen blue eyes. We might kill a pig, Jody suggested. Oh, no, I couldn't let you do that. You're just humoring me. It isn't the time, and you know it. You know Riley, the big boar, sir? Yes, I remember Riley well. Well, Riley ate a whole "'into that same haystack, and it fell down on him and smothered him. "'Oh, pigs do that when they can,' said Grandfather. "'Riley was a nice pig for a boar, sir. "'I rode him sometimes, and he didn't mind.' "'A door slammed at the house below them, "'and they saw Jody's mother standing on the porch, "'waving her apron in welcome, "'and they saw Carl Tiflin walking up from the barn "'to be at the house for the arrival.' The sun had disappeared from the hills by now. The blue smoke from the house chimney hung in flat layers in the purpling ranch cup. The puffball clouds, dropped by the falling wind, hung listlessly in the sky. Billy Buck came out of the bunkhouse and flung a wash basin of soapy water on the ground. He'd been shaving in midweek, for Billy held grandfather in reverence and Grandfather said that Billy was one of the few men of the new generation who had not gone soft. Although Billy was in middle age, Grandfather considered him a boy. Now Billy was hurrying toward the house, too. When Jody and Grandfather arrived, the three were waiting for them in front of the yard gate. Carl said, Hello, sir. We've been looking for you. Mrs. Tifflin kissed Grandfather on the side of his beard and stood still while his big hand patted her shoulder. Billy shook hands solemnly, grinning under his straw mustache. I'll put up your horse, said Billy, and he led the rig away.